It's time for Heatwave Sports. Sit back and relax as you take a tour around the world of sports each and every Saturday and Sunday night. And now, your hosts for Heatwave Sports, Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. It is Heatwave Sports. I'm Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com. Tonight, Heatwave Sports, I'm going to bring on Chris Wynn. And we have so much to talk about. Week 18 is done. That's it. The playoffs are now set. We have that to talk about. We have coaching changes to talk about, which there's already been immediate firings. We have opening lines. I have the opening line for every single game. I'll let you know about that. I got opening totals. I have the schedule when they're going to be played. So it's all set all of the regular season is done. We have a new number one overall draft pick. We have the college football playoff going off tomorrow. So there is a lot to jam into this two hours, but we're going to do it. We also will definitely want to hear from you guys. 876-1340, 876-1340. Hit me up over at Twitter. It's at Tom Barton Sports. Hit Chris. It's Christian Win over on Twitter or HW Sports, of course. You can always talk to Tim on Twitter as well. Guys, listen, it was an incredible day. Usually week 18 is kind of one of those ho-hum weeks. I talked about it this morning on my Sports Garden Network show, uh, how it's so hard to navigate through from a betting lens week 18 because there's a lot of incentives guys are going for. There's guys that just don't care at all to play. There are guys that really, really want to. There are teams that don't care. It's almost like the preseason. There are coaches that don't care. And then you have guys that just absolutely go for it. We had a couple of really big situations. Of course, the Detroit Lions. And then, of course, Lovey Smith also doing that in a little little under-the-radar kind of way. So we'll get into all of that. The coaching changes, the national championship game, everything. But there's not a person on this earth that I would rather do, and this is no offense to Tim, okay, that I would rather do the show with tonight than Chris Wynn. Why? Because the Detroit Lions, with nothing to play for, went out there. And me and Chris, Chris was on my show this morning. Me and Chris were talking about it this morning, that this is the most dangerous guy. Dan Campbell, maybe you don't love him yet, but he is the most dangerous coach because he was going to have this team ready to play. With nothing to play for, quote-unquote, they went out there and played a fantastic game. Aaron Rodgers is sitting at home for the playoffs. Could we imagine that Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson would both be sitting at home? But how about the way they went out? Not only did they lose at home, not only did they lose at home in January, but they lost to a divisional opponent that had nothing to play for. And the reality is Aaron Rodgers lost this for them. Yeah, you can blame the defense at the end. Or, no, no, no. Aaron Rodgers, three interceptions. Aaron Rodgers, huge interception at the end was the difference in this game. Chris, I couldn't be more proud of your team. No question about it, Tommy. Good to join you as usual on a nice little Sunday night as we cap off the NFL regular season and style up there in Green Bay. One of the hallowed spots in all the NFL. Make no mistake about it, right, Tommy? And uh, the Detroit Lions end the season with a 9-8 record but still missed the playoffs. It was kind of surprising given that, uh, you know, this we're kind of in an era, right, Mr. Barton, where it, when it comes to the playoffs in, in both the NFC and AFC, sometimes you'll get these teams that make the playoffs with not necessarily stellar records. 
Yet uh, this year, you've got a team that's over 500 that's going to miss the postseason. Of course, and I'm talking about the Detroit Lions. So uh, Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers was a team that had won four straight games and received plenty of help from other teams. And the Pack ended up with control of their postseason fate heading into the game tonight against Detroit and the Lions. While you think about this this new Detroit Lions team, you think about offense, right? You think about a team that could score points. Well, really, it was key defensive plays down the stretch in this football game on the road against the Packers. And, of course, I'm talking about Kirby Joseph with the interception on the final play, which might be Aaron Rodgers' last game as a Green Bay Packer with the interception. And it's the Lions' defense that ends up sealing the deal in Detroit after a 1-7 and seven start, Tommy, end up over 500 on the season. Uh, and, again, it's, it's, this gives all kinds of hope to us Detroit Lions fans, my friend, which I don't know if it's necessarily a great thing. Uh, my, me, myself, you know, Brian Feldman, some of, our, of us other media folks here in Las Vegas that are Detroit Lion faithful, I know all about trying to get too hyped on this team, but uh, it make no mistake about it. it it's going to be one of the, uh, it, after, of course, you know, the hard knocks episodes earlier this year and now going into the next season, there's going to be a lot of optimism given Detroit's able to finish the season over 500 and get a win against one of their arch rivals in the NFC North to close out the regular season. You know, I, I, I talked to you this morning, uh, you know, on my Wanna Bet show, and we talked about Dan Campbell. And I know that Dan Campbell is not known as, you know, this actual, you know, technician out there, right? It's more, as he put it himself, you know, biting people's kneecaps and kind of guts. And we we talk about coaches in his like, uh, gritty and, you know, nasty and getting it done. And he was brilliant tonight. Brilliant. And I don't throw that word around. For tonight, I'm not saying for the entire season, but for tonight, some of the calls that he made, some of them, and they highlighted this on the broadcast really well. Some of the, the calls that he made, some of the ideas that he had, when to go for it, when to not go for it, uh, the execution was there. He, he was everything you wanted in a coach for tonight. Now, you could have problems with him over the course of the season, and I have some of his play calling and things of that nature. But he had his guys ready to play, wanting to compete, focused. They never lost focus. And the execution, the play calling, the design, all of it was almost a perfectly put together game plan. Chris, I spoke to you this morning about Dan Campbell. And I know you had a hard time warming up to him. I know Brian Feldman, who's another Lions fan, still hasn't quite warmed up to him yet. How much does this game change your opinion on that? Because, I, I mean, to me, Dan Campbell is, is the future for Detroit. Yeah, I have to say, uh, I'm someone who has my my foot in my mouth regarding Dan Campbell. I was someone who did not think he was necessarily a cerebral head coach, right? And he gave a lot of people that indication by his by his persona, right? He's that rah-rah, in-your-face kind of coach who, you know, he, he doesn't give off the impression that he necessarily would make the right. And, and let's be straight up and honest, too, about it, though, Tommy. Earlier on in the season, throughout the first seven, eight games of the season, he was making some some bad decisions from that from that respect. So I think he has over the over the course of the second half of the season. I don't think there's any question that he's kind of that he's learned how to be a head coach. That he's kind of rectified those situations in which you know he, he made the he made the wrong decision early on in the year. 
and, and it wasn't necessarily the right call or the way to go that they should have. And now he's starting to make the right decision. So it, I am. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right when you say that I've kind of warmed up to him. That's kind of the way I'm going. That being said, and I'm going to kind of echo what my friend Brian Feldman here has said regarding this team. This is a Detroit Lions franchise, Tommy, that has a ton of history This, when it comes to the ownership. And it is the Ford family that has owned this team for a long time. And there is a long history of bad decisions, of apathy, of, of an approach in which necessarily winning on the field, Tommy, is not a high priority. And that is evident by the, what, what has transpired on, on the football field. And throughout the decades, we're talking about, you know, the last 20, 30 years with this franchise. And the Ford family still owns the team. So I don't know exactly uh, if, if it's going to be a team that turns the corner. Are we Lions fans encouraged by what we saw transpire here in 2022-23, given you're able to basically have a flat-out turnaround in the season? Absolutely. Absolutely, we're encouraged by that but there still is work to do they dug themselves a hole that you know in the end they weren't able to get out of and if you want to if you want to take the devil's advocate kind of side of things it ends up being a season where you're at yes you're over 500 but you didn't make the playoffs and they still don't have a playoff win in you know over in, in over 30 years they still are on the outside looking in when it comes to being one of the teams that is, you know, year in and year out vying for an NFC playoff position in which they're, you know, one of the, one of the you know, the better teams in the NFC. They're not there yet. Uh, is there reason to be encouraged? Absolutely. Is there reason to be hyped? Absolutely. Is there reason to be, to, to be juiced? If, if you're someone who's a fan of the Honolulu Blue and Silver, there is. But there's still kind of a wait-and-see attitude, Tommy, regarding this franchise and it starts with getting a win in the postseason. I mean, they got to get one win in the postseason before we start jumping up and down and start waxing poetic on all things Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes and, you know, the leadership and the powers that be. That is the Detroit Lions. And you still have you still have the Ford family that has ownership there. So there, there's, there's still that time. I guess what I'm in a long form I'm trying to say right now, there's still skepticism regarding the Ford family and the Detroit Lions moving forward, uh, even, though, even though they do that 9-8 and eight record. Let's talk about Aaron Rodgers. It looked like uh, he was kind of saying farewell to Lambeau. Uh, for those that didn't catch it after, uh, after the game, Jamal Williams, his ex-teammate, and uh, you know everybody seems to love Jamal Williams, his ex-teammate came over to him and said, hey, man, can I have that jersey? And he said, I, I think I'm going to keep this one. Um, a lot of people are saying, hey, maybe that means he's leaving Lambeau. Maybe that means he's retiring. A lot of speculation. And it'll go on. Look, you <laughs> were fielded questions this morning about this, about the Raiders being connected to Aaron Rodgers, maybe going back to Devontae. Um, there's a lot swirling around Aaron Rodgers like there always is. And, and one of the, my problems with Aaron Rodgers is he's a diva, and he wants these questions to be swirling around. I mean, that, that's what he wants. I don't think he did the jersey thing on purpose, but this is what he wants. Aaron Rodgers looked like Aaron Rodgers usually looks in January, which is bad tonight. He looked flat out bad. Now, it usually comes in the postseason. It usually comes before the NFC Championship game. Uh, we don't see it happen here, but 
Aaron Rodgers, three interceptions tonight. Aaron Rodgers getting picked off by a rookie at home in a play-in game. Aaron Rodgers, you can see over the course of the, of the last year, Aaron Rodgers kind of hitting that wall. And before you go out there and tell me all his great stats, look, watch watch his play, guys. Watch this play. We have watched this happen with some of the greats, right? Uh, didn't Peyton Manning hit a wall, guys? Yeah, he did, okay? Drew Brees kind of hit that wall as well. The greats can still put up decent numbers, but they're not themselves. You can't compare Aaron Rodgers to the rest of the league. You have to compare Aaron Rodgers to what Aaron Rodgers was. And I think that he's going to do a lot of self-evaluating. I think he's going to do a lot of self-reflecting here and wonder if it's worth coming back. Wonder if if all the drama is worth coming back and trying this again because he has a legacy of failure. He has one trip to the Super Bowl that he had to go through a third-string quarterback to get there, barely beat that team. He had to go to one Super Bowl, and in his way to getting to one Super Bowl, there were horrific calls, specifically one horrific call that kind of gifted him there. His entire legacy is coming up short. And short of winning the Super Bowl, all you're doing is rebuilding onto that legacy again. I think Aaron Rodgers looks around Green Bay and says, I don't have anything here to prove. I got them their one ring. And no matter what happens, I don't think that this team is the team to take it. And I do think this is the last time we see Aaron Rodgers with Green Bay. I didn't last year, Chris. It felt different last year. I kept saying, oh, he's coming back. Oh, he's coming back. Oh, he's coming back. And I know he's under contract. Maybe it's Vegas. Maybe it's Miami where you're hearing rumors. Maybe it's New England. Wherever it might be, I do not see Aaron Rodgers playing for the Green Bay Packers next year. What do you think? Yeah, Tommy, there's no question. It seems like it is the end of an era type situation regarding Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. Look, you, myself, and all of us, at Heatwave Sports, the Heatwave Sports family. Look, there's a lot of tongue-in-cheek when we talk about Aaron Rodgers across the board. As far as tonight's game, look, ho-hum from a stat standpoint, you know, a little over a couple a couple hundred yards passing, the one touchdown. He in was what awful. Might be his final he was awful. At Lambeau Field. Look, but there also is the other side of things, and I'm not going to sit here and start, you know, blasting all the things that Aaron Rodgers did from a statistical standpoint. The guy was a, a four-time MVP and for the most part, he owned my team, so I can't really talk too much smack about him. And although he's under contract for next season, Tommy, make no mistake about it, right? He's 39 years old. There is a question in his own mind whether or not he wants to continue playing. So retirement is a possibility. But we also understand that this is the NFL, and there's going to be teams out there that will probably be looking to take a stab at him and want him in camp coming up this fall and want him to be part of their franchise. This is a Packers team that missed the playoffs, right, for the first time, I believe, in Matt LaFleur's four seasons as a head coach there. So maybe it's time for the Packers where they want to move on and maybe maybe go a different direction, i.e. Jordan Love or maybe someone else. So I don't think there's any question that there's a real possibility. That's going to be one of the dramas, again, in this offseason. Right, Tommy? Is that uh, is Aaron Rodgers, will he or won't he go? You know, what team is he going to end up on? Much like the situation surrounding Tom Brady down in Tampa Bay with him and uh, and maybe even a couple other quarterbacks, Jimmy Garoppolo, et cetera. So there's no doubt that there's going to be intrigue and uh, interest when it comes to Aaron Rodgers as far as his career. But I mean, but it, it is hilarious. And again, we say it tongue in cheek. Uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers has the same number of Super Bowl wins as Matthew Stafford. 
me. That's a, you know, the, when you say that same out loud, number, Tommy, it's kind of hilarious, right? So he's got the uh, same number of NFC championships as Rex Grossman. Oh boy, there it is. Yeah, got to get that. Got to get that Chicago Bear in there. So, uh, yeah, you know, and during this game tonight, what he had the team of the fifth, uh, the eighth NFL player, I think, to have at least five thousand career completions. So the guy, look from a stat standpoint, he's got he's got stats, and he's going to end up in the Hall of Fame. Uh, and he's and he's probably I I'd say he's probably a top fifteen quarterback of all time. I mean, I think that's I think that's fair. He's probably a top fifteen quarterback of all time. And uh, you know that sickens me to say it as a Detroit Lions fan, but th- that's that would happen to be the case. And and look, I mean, they were it was a Packers team that was right there in the mix. They finished eight and nine on the season, and uh, and now it's going to be the Seattle Seahawks that earned that uh, that that NFC's last playoff spot. You know, on the uh, on the heels of a of a kind of come from behind win against the L.A. Rams, Tommy, which where they, you know they get they get in by the skin of their teeth. But uh, I mean, it was it, it's, it was remarkable, Tommy, how close my Detroit Lions were to getting to the postseason. If the Seahawks lose that game today, Detroit is in the playoffs, obviously, with the win against the Packers. So uh, it, it was it was without question a wild finish to the NFC playoff picture today. It certainly was, Chris. You know what we're going to do? Let's take our time out here. Uh, when we get back, I want to go over all the all the lines. Look, I know we got to go over some of the games that happened today. Uh, yep. Some of the games were important. Pittsburgh, Mike Tomlin's record. He's never had a losing record. We have some of that. But I want to go over the lines. I want to look at the lines. They've been released. I want to look at the schedule. I want to talk matchups. We're doing a preview here. We're doing a preview because we're the first show that, that's going to be on here that has the ability to do the preview with accurate lines, accurate numbers, and everything else. And guess what? They're playing on Saturday, Chris. So they're not going to be able, we're not going to be able to do this again. So let's take a quick timeout. We do get back. Let's start talking about the playoffs right here on Heat Wave Sports. Now back to Heat Wave Sports. All right, guys. Welcome back. Heat Wave Sports, the Super Sunday Night Edition. I'm Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com with Chris Wynn. Sitting in for Tim tonight, we're going over everything in the playoffs. And, and Chris, you know, listen, I had another winner today. I put it out there. You guys can go check it out right on my my Twitter page. And I've been doing it uh, one free winner a week with Believe Podcast Network. In the last three months, I have I have two losses. Uh, so yeah, it's eh, pretty good, pretty 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 good. But I ended the regular season, Chris, sixty percent at Tom Barton Sports Friends for all plays. Um, again, you guys could verify that you know, a million ways, and uh, but Tom Barton Sports, I, I'm just I'm rolling right now. I came off of a December where I just absolutely dominated, dominated. Today, Pittsburgh was my play. They couldn't get into the playoffs, but let's talk about the teams that did get into the playoffs here. So let's talk Saturday. Okay, we have two games. The early game. When I say early game, it's uh, early game in Las Vegas around the country. It is considered the early game around the country, though. You know, it's the late game if it was a regular, if it was a Sunday. But Niners, Seahawks, the opening line, Niners minus 10 and a half. Seahawks uh, at 42 and a half is the total. And the late game, the night game, which is really great spot for these two teams. I think they should both be highlighted. I love the quarterback matchup. The Chargers open up, as I predicted to Tim earlier today, as two-point favorites over the Jaguars in Jacksonville. The total is 46 and a half. My real quick thoughts here. On the Niners Seahawks, that line is just, it, it's got to go up. It's going to go up 
and it, it should go up. I know they're division rivals. I know they played close uh, to a 21-13 San Francisco win earlier in the, the year. I know that I, – I, I get it, okay? I get that the Seahawks have won you know, four of the last six, a different Seahawks team. I, the, the Niners are a machine right now. And forget about how they perform you know, to get onto there. Look, they didn't have anything to play for today per se. They could have got the number one overall seed, but once they realized that that was kind of done, uh, they still just steamrolled people. The, the McCaffrey move is just so highlighted for the perfect player for the perfect team. Not just because he runs, but he catches the ball. Everything Shanahan wants. He's okay with a rotation. He blocks when he needs to. He's he's George Kittle in running back form. He's Kyle Juszczyk as a fullback in running back form. Versatile guys. They do different things. They do what, what uh, you know, you look at Shanahan, that's what he wants. Brock Purdy fits this offense perfectly. I know people are all, all going crazy about him. I'm not telling you that this guy's going to go out there and win any MVPs. No, he might. He looks good. He may not go out there and win any MVPs, but he he is doing exactly what Kyle Shanahan wants. He is the perfect fit. Over on the Seahawks side, this team peaked a little early. Now, they have dealt with some injuries, okay? Tyler Lockett was injured, and that had to do with some of their downfall. Tyler Lockett came back. He's looked really good, made a great catch today. Geno Smith was playing at an MVP level right around week eight or nine. I was talking about Geno Smith should be in the top five of the MVP race, and he started to get that hype. He fell off, but Walker started to come on. And you still look at Pete Carroll as a really good coach. They have a real good offensive line, and the offensive line with the Seahawks up against that defensive line of the Niners is just a fantastic, fantastic matchup. But at the end of the day, the Niners are going to run down the Seahawks' throats, and the Seahawks are doing it without their best defensive player. Jordan Brooks, before today's game, tore his ACL. He's out for the year. He is the guy in the middle that is their tackling machine. He is their, their absolute everything. With a healthy Jordan Brooks, I would be leaning the double-digit points here. Without him, it's Niners or nothing for me. I'm sorry. Look, I'm not fully on the Niners bandwagon. I'm not fully there where they win the Super Bowl. I'm not there. But for this game, this matchup, these two coaches, this running style, and the injuries that Seattle has, I don't see anything but a 49ers absolute route here. What do you think? Make no mistake about it, Tommy. When you take a look at these wild card matchups coming up this upcoming weekend, familiarity is something that uh, jumps out at me immediately, right? Because you've got three matchups between teams that are divisional matchups. They're teams that have played each other twice already this season. And then you've got the matchup, of course, on coming up on Monday night with the Cowboys and Buccaneers, which of course was that, uh, which is that very intriguing game that went down earlier on in the season as well, too. So, but specifically this Seahawks 49ers game, you and I talked about this on your national show this morning, right? Regarding this Seahawks team, they're able to kind of eke out a win today against the Los Angeles Rams in a game that the Rams really didn't need. But it was they were able to do it not because they were able to kind of have like an air raid offense with Geno Smith and Metcalf and Lockett and all those guys. It's because of guys like, you know, Kenneth Walker III. They were able to get kind of a balanced running game going. And he was a big key, in, especially in overtime, for them to pull out that victory. And what do we say a lot, Tommy? And I think you said this this morning as well, too. What do we say about teams when it comes to going into the postseason? You want, you ought, and it's kind of an obvious thing to say, but we say that they want to be playing at their best, right? You want to be playing well as you head into the playoffs. 
And some of these teams just flat out aren't playing well heading into the postseason. The Seattle Seahawks happen to be one of those teams. Now you add on to that the fact that they they lose Brooks, their, their most dynamic defensive player. It makes things extremely problem, problematic for the Seattle Seahawks moving forward. I, I, you know, obviously initially you look at that and you say, wow, San Francisco giving up double digits in a postseason game. Uh, it, it, you, to you, a division you, rival. Yeah, you, to a division rival, you think, oh, my God. I mean, really? Like, how is that even possible? But all of the extenuating circumstances make you understand why that is and why that's the case. So, like, like you said, and I would have to, I would have to kind of concur. I would take a hard look here at San Francisco in this matchup because there's a there's a method to the madness, as we like to say, regarding the 49ers and why they would be that big of a favorite against their division rivals in Seattle. This is a Seahawk team that essentially kind of stumbled their way into the playoffs here. And I think it's going to be a very short run for the folks up there for the Pacific Northwest. I understand the argument to be made for Seattle. Like we just said, double digits. You know, it's Pete Carroll who's had success against Shanahan. Geno Smith has looked really good. Uh, you know, it's a division game. And, and let, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Brock Purdy is a guy with, with less than 10 starts in, under his belt starting in a playoff game, right? I, I think that that might burn the Niners moving on, but not here. Right? Not in this spot. It doesn't seem like it's a concern for me, at least. It doesn't seem like, well, oh boy, you know, that that's, that's going to be a worry. This seems like the perfect, perfect spot because not only does he get to play at home, Chris, Brock Purdy not only gets to play at home, gets to play against a, a, a team that he's already played against. He already faced this Seahawks team. That's rare. The guy's got, you know, what, 70 starts under his belt. Hey, he's already faced this Seahawks team. So I understand there will be people that stand up and take the Seahawks. They're going to try to get those points. I don't know if I could lay double digits in a playoff game in a division. I don't know if I can, but there's no way you could take me to get me to take the Seahawks. No chance. I don't believe in Brock Purdy is the second coming. No, I don't. I don't believe Brock, Brock Purdy's lifting up the Lombardi Trophy this year. No, I don't. But do I think that he can get by a team that he's already seen with the Shanahan offense at home? Yeah, I think he wins the game, and I think they probably win it handedly. But there's no way you get me to take the Seahawks. What this about San Francisco team that won what 21 13 back in uh, December against the Seattle team? And this is a Niners team that is rolling into the playoffs, Tommy. We're talking about wins over everybody over the last five games. I mean, they've just been, you know, they got, and the real, the only close game really was the Raider game, right? Where they, they, they get the, the 37 34 win in that overtime game against the Raiders. Look, I when it comes to Brock Purdy, Tommy, I, do, do you get the feel? Do you get the feeling, Tommy, that we we as NFL fans and and a lot of people who are analysts and handicappers, we kind of look at Brock Purdy like we looked at Cooper Rush with the Dallas Cowboys, right? Where we, you 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 give him respect, you think you know what he he can hold the fort down. We understand that he's you know as of right now he's not supposed to be the guy, but you get the feeling that he is that he's that he's going to be just enough of the guy, you know what I mean, to kind of to kind of right the ship and kind of hold things together. And, oh, by the way, it kind of helps when you've got weapons, the likes of, you know, Christian McCaffrey in that backfield, and you've got, you know, Brandon Ayuk, and you got Debo Samuel, and you got some other pieces on offense that you can rely on. And, oh, by the way, a defense that's pretty stellar too. So it's not like it's Brock Purdy going out there trying to, you know, trying to take on the world by himself. It's kind of a, you know, he's just kind of a part of it. 
where he's he's he just has to be a piece that that you know, doesn't kind of screw things up. That's the way I feel kind of about Brock Purdy and about this San Francisco team. And it is kind of remarkable though when you think about it, where this is a San Francisco 49ers team that could absolutely head to the Super Bowl, Tommy, with with Brock Purdy at quarterback. You could absolutely see it happening. So I, I happen to think that when you, when when you talk about the NFC and there's going to be other teams we're going to talk about, obviously because of some of these matchups, uh, San Francisco 49ers are right there live with with anybody else that's in the NFC when it comes to uh, getting to the big game coming up in February. You know, I, I, I will say this. I don't know if he's just a placeholder. Um, I think he fits this offense really well. And I think that they're going to have a serious, serious conversation in San Francisco where is Trey Lance the guy next year or is it Brock Purdy? Uh, I, I think he he's clearly a talented guy, but I think he's less talented than Trey Lance, but I think he fits the system better. What? But how wild is it, Tommy, though, right? How wild is it you say that? Because you think about it, Trey Lance, you know, lottery pick, you know, we're talking about top 10 guy, and Brock Purdy was, you know, like Marty Moore for the New England Patriots, Mr. Irrelevant, the guy in the, the back end of the draft. Like, it's it's just, it's, it's, uh, you're, you're exactly right. But isn't it kind of astounding when you when you sit back and you you, you kind of you kind of soak that in what you just said regarding Brock Purdy and the San Francisco 49ers? Chris, we're talking about uh, the, the the next game, which is easily my favorite game on the board. Um, it is absolutely two powerhouse quarterbacks that can rule this league or come damn close to it with Mahomes and Allen and Burrow still living, uh, but rule rule this league for a while. Trevor Lawrence and Justin Herbert. I told Tim earlier in the day, I said, Chargers, I, I'm, I, they're going to be favored. I thought they'd be three-point favored. It opens up at two. I said, they're going to be favored on the road against the Jags. And you, you saw uh, they had that guy that does the uh, the election stuff, and he said, it's a 50-50. All of our models say 50-50. And I get that. But if it's a 50-50, shouldn't the Jaguars be a couple of, couple of digits favorite? You know, Jacksonville minus two made a little sense. But I knew the public overreaction, and I knew the sportsbook's overreaction was going to be everybody's going to love the Chargers. And everybody has loved the Chargers for a while. And it's still the Jags. And the Jags had a good year, and Trevor Lawrence has looked absolutely spectacular since about week seven here. But it's still the Jags. So the sports betting world knew that money's going to come pouring in on the Chargers. Chargers are minus two right now. I would wager a guess that that hits three right about Wednesday or Thursday. I think it is going to become early money on the Chargers. And why not? They are sexy, right? Oh, boy. Oh, they got that that offense, that high-flying offense. Everybody loves that. They have the players. They have the names. They have the Pro Bowlers. Say the names with me. I mean, Bosa and Mack and Derwin James on defense, on offense. You got Eckler. You got Herbert. You got Allen, right? You have the players. You have everything in place. Here's my problem with the Chargers. They had everything in place last year, did not make the playoffs. Justin Herbert had nearly an MVP type of season last year, didn't make the playoffs. Justin Herbert for his career is a game under 500. Justin Herbert for his career is is terrible, absolutely terrible as a favorite against the spread. Doesn't cover games that he's supposed to win. Justin Herbert and the Chargers are not very good on the road over the last few years. This is a long trip, okay? It's a night game, so that helps. But it's still a long trip from Los Angeles all the way to Jacksonville. It's a rowdy crowd in Duval. They might not be the greatest fans, or we might not look at Jacksonville like that, but it is a rowdy crowd. And I don't know if there's a coaching mismatch worse 
than Staley against Peterson. Look, I think Peterson's a good coach, but I, I've said it all along. Brandon Staley's got to go. I mean, he made the playoffs, and people are talking today about Sean Payton. What a disaster, horrendous call today to start his starters. It made no sense. He left them in there. Scott Hansen on the Red Zone channel continued to say all day long, oh, we don't really know why they're still in there. And then Mike Williams gets injured in this game. He turned around afterwards, and Staley had no answers. He said, well, you know, you got to suit 48 guys and blah, blah, blah. Well, Brian Dable figured out a way to do it today, but you couldn't. I think that that mismatch is massive. The fact that he knows that, you know, maybe Sean Payton's looking over his shoulder. Maybe Jim Harbaugh's looking over his shoulder or one of the other coaches. Meanwhile, Peterson's there. He's done this. He's been here. He's got Trevor Lawrence playing at an elite, elite level. Trevor Lawrence looks like the guy we all thought he was going to look like. I think it's a complete and utter lack of respect here by the Jaguars, but one that I saw coming, that they are an underdog at home. They're an underdog at home, not because they should be. They're an underdog at home because they're the Jaguars and their history is there. And they're an underdog at home because the public is going to love the Chargers. I look at this game and I go, if, you, if you're thinking that the Jaguars are not on equal footing with the Chargers, you haven't watched Jaguar game this year. Yeah, there's no question that the Jaguars, as far as the perception surrounding this team, is a big part of this line, in my opinion, Tommy. Because the Jaguars, look, they're just a team that hasn't had, you know, any success as a, you know, in recent history when it comes to the playoffs. And uh, you know, it's been like almost 20 years since they were really a team that could contend to go deep in the AFC. But that's changing a lot right now with this Jacksonville team. Obviously, you mentioned the stark contrast, my friend, stark when it comes to the coaches here. And Doug Peterson and Brandon Staley, yeah, there's there's a reason why there's chatter around the head coaching position with the Chargers because look, they're ten and seven coming in the playoffs. They're not a team that was say twelve and four or thirteen and five or thirteen and three, uh, or, excuse me, thirteen and four and twelve and five going in the playoffs. So that and, and we've seen the utter mistakes that Staley has made when it comes to key spots, uh, and I'm obviously talking about the you know, the Raider game a year ago. And so there's been others as well, too. So that's all justified regarding Staley. And it is a joke of a matchup if you want to look at it from a coaching standpoint. From a quarterback standpoint, it's intriguing. Both these guys are young guys. Their stats are pretty much comparable, right? Both guys throw through for 4,000 yards this year. Both guys right around 20, 25, 26 touchdowns, around 8 to 10 picks on the season. So stats-wise, they're comparable. And they're going to be a couple of quarterbacks that are going to be uh, the more two of the more talked about and high-profile quarterbacks moving forward in the NFL. But the supporting casts, I think, are, are going to be a big key here. This is a Chargers team, especially, that had injury issues, right, when it came to the wide receiver position throughout most of the season. You had, obviously, Allen's banged up a lot. You had Williams banged up. And now, as you pointed out, the injury to him as well. So you're having focal points on guys like Joshua Palmer having to step up and be a big part of that offense for the Jet, for the Chargers, that can be problematic. So I think, you know, when you take a look at this team, you love what NTN brings to the table for the Jaguar, Jacksonville Jaguars. You love what Christian Kirk's been able to do this year. And, you know, so I think there, it, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch these offenses go at each other. But but I would, I'm picking up a lot of what you're putting down, Mr. Barton, regarding the Jaguars and kind of the disrespect that is getting tossed their way because they are absolutely positively a live squad in this matchup against the Chargers. 
And I'm probably going to be looking to sprinkle a little bit of coin, my friend, on the boys from Duval County up there in North Florida in this matchup against the Chargers. Let's also look, look, we can talk about coaches and quarterbacks. Let's talk about, to me, breaking this down from an X's and O's standpoint, Chris, this is just a run-first game where the Chargers lose ridiculous. Look, the Chargers can't run the ball. Okay, Austin Eckler is a really good running back, but most of what he does comes out of the backfield, catching the ball. Uh, you know, he's one of the best, if not the best receiving back I've seen in a very, very long time. The Jaguars a, are a really good defense when it comes against a run. As a matter of fact, leading up uh, until the Titans game just this weekend, they were allowing 75 yards per, per game. One of the best run defenses in the league. So the Chargers are going to be one-dimensional here. Now, that one dimension is great. It's Herbert and throwing it all over the field. Uh, but the other side of this, the Jaguars have been running effectively. And you mentioned ETN. Yeah, that's great. The Chargers for most of this year, Chris, and this is where it drives me nuts when people talk about how good the Chargers' defense is. I know they were missing Bosa. But the Chargers for most of the year were on pace to set the record that had been set before 1960 for the most yards per game and the most yards per carry. They were not the worst rushing defense this year. They were the worst rushing defense we have ever seen. Okay, we're talking historic. We are talking in a day and age, Chris, where it is throw the ball all day, try to get the pass interference, move the ball through the air, everybody's air raid attack. This team was on pace to be the worst run defense in the history of the NFL. That doesn't just go away. Look, they had a couple of good games, so they're not going to you know, be, they're still going to finish dead last this year. They're not going to set any records historically, but they were on pace today. Going into week 13, they were on pace to be the worst defense in the history of the NFL against the run. You don't think the Jaguars know that? Of course they do. This is going to be who can run the ball. The Jaguars are coming right after the Chargers running the ball. Chargers have to get something going on the ground against a very good Chargers defense. From an X's and O's standpoint, the Chargers are just overmatched. It's not a good matchup for the Chargers. I heard everybody all week talking about, oh, the Chargers, you know, Chargers, if they're going to get Tennessee or Jacksonville, oh, you got to like that first round matchup. I think this is a terrible matchup for the Chargers in this spot. Why? Because of the running game. So, Tommy, you think everybody, you're speaking of everybody all week as we get things rolling here in the next couple of days. Do you think there's a real possibility here that you take a look at this short number, right, where you've got the Chargers as a short favorite in this game when you're heading on the road against a team that obviously because they won the division, they're hosting this playoff game. Do you think there's a possibility that this line could shift and you could end up with a Jack, you know, if, if you get enough action coming in, where you're going to have the Jaguars as a short favorite by the time this game kicks off coming up this Saturday night between these two teams? No, I think people are in love with the Chargers. I think yeah. it's going to go the other way. I think this kicks yeah. off at Chargers three, three and a half even. I think people are going to unload on the Chargers. Justin Herbert's the guy, and it's Jacksonville. And, you know, Tim already wrote me. He already likes the Chargers. And uh, you know how we always agree on everything. I said, yeah, I don't I don't see what you are what you see in this team. I just don't. I don't get it. Um, it could be because people wanted them in the preseason. And, Chris, we didn't really touch on it. Let, let's touch on this, okay? Mike Williams. Brandon Staley left him out there today. Mike Williams left, and it doesn't look like he's going to be ready for the Jaguar game. I mean, we don't have you know definitive answers here, um, but Mike Williams was was carted off of the field. It seems to me, Mike Williams, you know, he's got you know back spasms and all that. 
If you're carted off the field, even if you play, you can't be 100%. And remember, they play on Saturday, so it's a shorter game. I think the Mike Williams injury could be devastating for this team. Well, that makes it even more kind of puzzling to me in the fact that, you know, that 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 kind of the public it would take that kind of approach going moving forward here throughout the next few days and moving into this week, Tommy, right, that they have an injury to such a key guy on the receiving core, and yet, you, you know, it's your belief, and, and I'm sure there's there's many other people that, that think the same way, that there, there's going to be people loading up on the Chargers now as far as this matchup. Even, I mean, that's, that's a – Public's not that injury. smart, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, yeah, it's a clear indication of, uh, you know, that that uh, some of the folks out there with respect to, uh, uh, you know, picking up on exactly what's going down with this Chargers team. They're just going to go Justin Herbert and that's it. All right, Chris, look, let's take a quick timeout. OK, uh, we ought to take that second time out for the hour. That's a Saturday games. When I get back, though, I want to ask you about the coaching situation when we're talking about the Saturday games and then. Hour number two, we're going into the Sunday games and the Monday game. Don't forget there is one on Monday. Plus, this Monday, there's the national championship game. So we'll take a quick timeout. We'll be right back with Heat Wave Sports right after this. Now back to Heat Wave Sports. All right, guys. Welcome back. Heat Wave Sports. Tom Martin here with Chris Wynn. Taking you for the next hour. Going up... uh, we're talking everything in the world of sports, but basically just the NFL playoffs at this point. We went over the Saturday games, and before we switch over to Sunday, okay? So we got we got about 10 minutes here before the break. Before we switch over to Sunday, Chris, there's a lot of speculation about coaches going different places, right? Harbaugh might be going. The, the, the Saints, apparently, what they're asking for is a number one overall pick and more for Sean Payton, but it looks like Sean Payton's going to be going. Sean McVay might be out of L.A. There's a lot of of coaches moving and shifting and stuff. One of the conversations me and Tim have had more than one time this season is about Brandon Staley. And and Tim, I said, look, I I think they need to get rid of him, okay? I don't think he's that coach that that is going to take you to the promised land, not with this team. I think that a guy like Sean Payton would just absolutely thrive with Justin Herbert and that offense. But I did say this, and I've said this since day one. If he made the playoffs, they're not going to fire him. Tim believed all along if the Chargers made the playoffs, but Sean Payton was made available, the Chargers would still fire Brandon Staley. So I'm looking at a game against Jacksonville, and I'm going, you know, Tim might have a point here. If they lose this game to Jacksonville, is there any way they make that 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 move? I'm not sure. What do you think about this? Is Brandon Staley... Does he have to win this game to keep his job? I think there's a real possibility of that. You're talking about a guy who, you know, has, has been, you know, it started off his career at, in, in the college ranks. He's, you know, kind of elevated his way with that that Bears outside linebacker's job back in 2017. And, of course, you know, with the Rams, the defensive coordinator with the Rams back in 2020. And then he gets a shot uh, just a, just a year ago. You know, he's got that, you know, not exactly electrifying, what, 19 and 15 record in his short stint so far. But, you know, there's a lot of people that he just left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths after what transpired last year. And we know this is the NFL right now. And immediate gratification tends to be the the kind of feel of the day with, with respect to coaches. So and when you got 
interesting names out there. Obviously, you're talking about guys like Sean Payton and some others out there where they, they might be in the mix when it comes to that Chargers job. And if you have kind of an unceremonious exit out of the playoffs this year, there's no doubt that he could absolutely be on his way out the door. Now, I don't think that's anything definite by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, it's it's absolutely something that could have, could happen. Now, look, with respect to Sean Payton, there's a lot of gigs that he's been talked about, right? you got the situation up in Denver with the Broncos. You've got, uh, you know, uh, other spots where he could end up in, in the discussion regarding Mike McCarthy in Dallas. And, and there's been, there's always been speculation about Sean Payton going to big D and uh, playing for Jerry, but, uh, but the Chargers are right there in the mix too. So I think there's absolutely a possibility that he could end up uh, out the door when it comes to Staley in Los Angeles with the Chargers. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I've said all along, you can't fire a guy that, that, you know, in what is, what is his third year? You can't fire a guy if he's going to the playoffs and he's going to the playoffs. I mean, that's what he's doing here. I don't see it happening because look, you, you would have to give up. You would have to fire a guy that got to the playoffs, institute a new offensive scheme for a young rookie, young, not rookie anymore, young third year quarterback. You'd also have to go pay an exorbitant amount for Sean Payton. Now, the other names you're hearing is Frank Reich might be available. They're not going from Staley to Reich. Jim Harbaugh, I don't think you're going from maybe. I mean, maybe. But I don't think you're going from Staley to Harbaugh and having to pay that deal. I think that the Chargers would, would want to move on, Chris. I mean, is that a fair say, statement? I think they would certainly think about it. They would want to move on. But unless they get that absolute slam dunk, They'll always be second-guessed. And I'll tell you what, here's something that even if Sean Payton is available, if they win this game, he's not going, Staley's not going anywhere. I don't care if they win this game and then they get absolutely humiliated by the Bills, right? It doesn't matter. He's not going anywhere if he wins this game. Now, you can make the argument, and I could understand and listen to the argument, well, you lose to the Jaguars. I mean, it's the Jaguars. Oh, boy. Yeah, but they are the AFC South winners, all right? I mean, they, they, that's what they are. They are the champs. I, I just can't see Staley not being here. While I think that he should not be there, okay? I didn't like the hiring when it first happened. We were on the air uh, the, the weekend that it happened. I, said, I didn't like the hiring when it happened. I didn't like the play calling that he had. You said specifically Raiders games. I could name about four or five times that I didn't like the coaching. I didn't like the coaching decisions today. Basically, to me, he got Mike Williams hurt. He hurt your playoff chances to move and advance on. I think he's a bad in-game manager. I don't think he's a good coach. I'm not telling you that I'm backing this guy as a coach. What I'm saying is that I think by winning last week, getting his team to the playoffs, he has made it impossible to fire because of, hey, he's got a playoff win under his belt or a playoff appearance under his belt. You don't need the win. Even if it's the Jaguars, it doesn't matter. And a lot of people are, are, are kind of speculating, well, it's the Jaguars. But if the Chargers were against the Bills, you wouldn't say that. If the Chargers were against the Bengals, you wouldn't say that. If the Chargers were against even the Ravens, you wouldn't say that. Would you say it against the Dolphins? Probably not. Even though the Dolphins haven't looked good, Tua comes back, oh, well, you lose to the Dolphins. Okay. So the only AFC team is why? Because it's the Jaguars. I mean, would it would it be the same if it was Tennessee? Would it be would, would it be that insulting if Staley lost to Mike Vrabel? No, I don't think so. So I, I, there's one path, and it might have just been the Jaguars. But I still don't see it being the path. I'm sticking with my original notion, and I know me and Tim have been at odds about this at times during the year. 
Do I think Brandon Staley should go? Yes. I think Brandon Staley is is coaching maybe even more this year, but he's definitely coaching this team next year. And I think it's to the detriment of the Chargers, sure, but they're not firing him after a playoff appearance. And not only that, how about I'll go one better. Not only that is he going to start the year next year as the Chargers head coach. I think he buys himself a full year because even if they are just mediocre next year and maybe miss the playoffs, he's still going to get another year. Well, you made the playoffs the year before. I think Brandon Staley is there for the long haul in Los Angeles for good or for bad. I'm still saying it's for bad, but I do think he's there for the long haul. Yeah, Tommy, as we roll towards the top of the hour here, I look a lot at the Staley situation in Los Angeles with the Chargers, much like I look at the Josh McDaniels situation here in Las Vegas in that it's just too short of a sample size, right? Obviously, Staley's been there a little bit longer than McDaniels in Vegas with the Raiders. But, you know, you've got basically, you know, the 9-7 and seven record a year ago throughout the first 16 games of the season. You talked about the mistakes that he made. He made two mistakes in that game, by the way, against the Raiders, you know, in a win or tie type of scenario or go home situation. And uh, when he came under scrutiny for that two, you know, the two decisions as far as, you know, that failed fourth down conversion. And of course, everything that happened, uh, you know, at the end of that football game as well, too. But I think both franchises, both the Raiders and the Chargers take the same approach. Uh, it, we're we're going to still going to roll with them. And if they do and if they do lose to the to the Jaguars this next week, Tommy, the Chargers are going to find a way to rationalize around as to why they, they should yes. keep Brandon Staley. Now, look, there's also kind of an element here quickly that, you know, there's, there's kind of a bigger and better deal element to this, right? Oh, if we can get maybe a Sean Payton, that'd be great. And that's an upgrade from Brandon Staley. If we could get a Jim Harbaugh to, you know, out of Michigan to come to the Chargers instead of maybe the Colts or some other options that he has, then that's an upgrade. And then maybe they can rationalize around as to why they would get rid of him. But I'm kind of on board with you. I think that the Chargers are going to are going to are going to keep rolling with with Brandon Staley, regardless of the outcome of this year's playoffs. And I still they still believe that he could be their guy moving forward as, as they continue with the Chargers. All right, Chris, as we move forward, we're going to get into Sunday's games. Bills, Dolphins, Giants, Vikings, Ravens, Bengals, and the Monday Nighter, Cowboys, Buccaneers, Tom Brady against the Cowboys. Yeah, was there any doubt that was going to get the premier matchup? We're going to do all that in hour number two. Stay right here. We'll be right back right here on Heatwave Sports. Now back to Heatwave Sports. All right, guys, our number two here, Heatwave Sports. I'm Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com. Sitting in with Chris Wynn. Go check him out on Twitter. It's Chris at Christian Wynn. I'm at Tom Barton Sports over on Twitter. Check me out there. Check me out on TomBartonSports.com. Like I said, guys, look, the numbers just speak for themselves. I have multiple monitoring sites. And now, look, I'm, I'm giving away free plays on Believe Podcast Network. I've gotten two games wrong in three months <laughs> there. It's all available to you. Go check me out at TomBartonSports.com for less than 200 bucks. You, you, you sign up for $200 right now. You're getting every NFL play, every college. I'll give you the college football championship tomorrow. Every college basketball play, every NBA play, and every NHL play from now until after the Super Bowl. You're getting it all, everything. There's no upgrades. There's no commission. It's TomBartonSports.com, guys. Also, go check me out my YouTube channel. It's Tom Barton Sports. If you uh, take one second yeah, if you're a guy that says, you know what, I, I like you on the air, 
you know, or, or I don't like you on the air, but, but I like you on the air, but I, I don't want to go in. I'm not a better. Okay. Just press subscribe. The subscribes help a lot for people that, uh, you know, do YouTube. And if you guys want to go check me out on my podcast, wagering week is the podcast. Believe in betting is a podcast. And for you real hardcore college basketball fans, I have a believe in the Ivy league podcast as well. So, all right, Chris, let's get back into this here. Sunday, three games going off. The early game is the Dolphins-Bills. The early number is the Bills minus 11.5. The total's 43.5. I expect this number to be big because the expectation that's two is not going to be available. The expectation is that Teddy Bridgewater is not going to be available. And with Skylar Thompson in here against this team in this stadium, in this spot, playing the way they are, Look, I, I expected this to be double digits. It's 11 and a half. It might even, look, maybe maybe it should be more. But the thing is, is that you cannot bet this game right now. You can't. Don't try to get cute. You can't bet this game right now. Because there is a chance that Teddy comes back. It's not a big chance because of his finger injury. But there's a chance Teddy comes back. There's a chance that Tua comes back. And all of a sudden, do you feel comfortable laying 11 and a half? against an inspired Tua-led team or against Teddy Covers, one of the best underdog quarterbacks or the best underdog quarterback in history. So I think the Bills here, they know what they're up against. They've played the Dolphins twice, okay? They are playing at an elite level. Now they have the, the spark and the energy. But we did watch some concerning things in the game. If you break this down just by X's and O's, I watched the Patriots not only run on the Bills, but they were able to get big passes off on the Bills. The air raid game of Mac Jones to Devontae Parker was unstoppable at times. Yeah, I'm being kind of facetious here, but I'm not. I'm not joking here. It was concerning, if you're a Bills fan, that you can get beat through the air. And now you have the Dolphins coming in. Tyreek Hill and Waddle, the air raid attack that they can be, they have the ability to be at times. I think the Bills win this game. I think the Bills blow the Dolphins' doors off if Skylar Thompson is in there. Or if Skylar Thompson's in there and Tyreek Hill is banged up. Or and Waddle's banged up, which all happened today, okay? But I'm cognizant enough to say, I don't know if Teddy Bridgewater is going to start. And I would not lay 11.5 if I was staring at Teddy Bridgewater. I don't know if Tua is going to start. I certainly wouldn't lay 11.5 if I was staring at Tua. So until I'm sure, Chris... I can't do it, not only because of their impact, but because of what I just watched Mac Jones do to this Bills team. An inspired Bills team at home did not look good against the pass. So, Tommy, throughout the NFL regular season, right, when it comes to sports betting and wagering, we always use these phrase, you know, a game I want to stay away from, a game that I'm not going to touch for whatever reason and for reason A, for reason B for reason C. This absolutely falls into that category, Mr. Barton, when it comes to this Bills-Dolphins playoff tilt. In fact, when I see that number at Buffalo minus 11 right now, it absolutely screams to me something that I don't want to touch with respect to these two teams' division rivals going at it in the playoffs. Obviously, the Buffalo Bills are a team coming off that win over the Patriots, and I would concur with you a thousand percent on your perspective regarding that game against the Patriots today, you got the feeling that the Patriots were right there in that football game. They were. I mean, there were uh, there were opportunities where the Patriots 
could have absolutely won that football game. That Don't let that 35-23 score fool you with respect to that game between, between Buffalo and New England today. That being said, obviously this is a Bills team that is dealing with the DeMar Hamlin situation. And, uh, you know, it, and by the way, we haven't really had a chance with the Heatwave Sports family to kind of talk about that. But, uh, you know, just a, just a tremendously inspirational story regarding that situation in Buffalo and, 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 and how the NFL as a whole, as far as the fans and, and as far as, you know, the NFL family has dealt with that situation. And the Bills came out today and were able to, to really to, to get that, that, that entire stadium energized. And, and I would suspect that now going into the playoffs, it's going to be that kind of theme for Buffalo where they're going to kind of rally around his injury and his recovery. And that, that could be a positive impact for Buffalo. That being said, I absolutely concur with you. I see that, that's that, that double digit line. And I, I don't necessarily even care about what the situation is as far as the Dolphins quarterback situation or injury situation. Uh, I, I just, it, look, it's a Dolphins team that is dangerous from an offensive standpoint, even with, you know, Skylar Thompson out there at quarterback. It's a team that could, without I think without question, could hang within a touchdown of the Buffalo Bills in that game. Or it could go the completely other way. It could it could end up being where the Buffalo Bills kind of flex their muscles and defensively show that, uh, that, that they can slow down the Miami Dolphins and could end up running away with it. So I would concur. I think it's just it's just very difficult to kind of handicap this, this this matchup and handicapping the Bills period when it comes to the NFC, to the AFC playoffs and uh it's it's probably going to be one of those matchups that I stay away from from a betting standpoint. Chris, I know people like to get cute out there sports betting, right? I, I yeah. get it. People like to get cute. You got the Timmy Teaser all the time and people They get frisky, Mr. Barton. They like to get frisky out there, you know? People like to get frisky. Well, <laughs> I always say the only time I like to get, you know, cute with some stuff here when I do parlays, I can't stand parlays, but the only time I do it is big money parlays and your money line. And I'm looking at this and I checked on this on the on the numbers. You get the Niners and the Bills minus 265 to win. Niners to win, Bills to win, minus 265. It's a large number. Okay, and I'm not advocating it. I'm just telling you, if you like to get frisky, if you like to get cute out there, right? Niners, Bills, just to win, only minus 265. That's not a bad That's not a bad number right there. And speaking of which, Tommy, when you talk about betters not being happy, that Dolphins-Jets game was one, of the, was one of the games that got people fired up today. The other one, of course, being the Colts match, the Colts losing the Texans. But you, you have, you have a, a lot of people – that had the Jets at plus three in that matchup. You get that, you know, end of the game, no time on the clock safety for the Miami Dolphins that kind of bursted the bubble for all those uh, those folks in your neck of the woods that had gang green in that matchup against Miami. Yeah, that was a <laughs> that was one of those oh oh the the ever so nasty safety on week exactly. eight. I mean, oh oh those are tough ones. All right, let's go. You mentioned it. My neck of the woods. How about the Giants getting three points against the Vikings? The rhetoric around the Giants, and not just from people in New York, from around the country. I do my show nationally, right? My national broadcast. I get this, the same responses as I do from New York about this Giants team. And I've heard it since week about eight. 
You don't want to play this team. This is the team that's going to upset somebody in the playoffs. This is the team that, you know, has the style and the, and the kind of game that, that you don't want to face. They have a good coach. They have Saquon Barkley, who's a, a good running back. Uh, Daniel Jones has played at a pretty good level this year. The Giants were constantly beat down into people's heads for weeks, months even, that they are not the team you want to trifle with. You don't want to face them in the first round. You don't want to overlook them. The Giants could do this, and the Giants could do that. The Giants can be that team. Maybe they could be that. That's all you heard over and over and over. And in the same time frame, all that we heard, Chris, was the Vikings were not for real. Now, I've said it right away. I cashed my overbet. Before the year, I gave out the Vikings and Phil. I gave out two plays on this air for overplays, okay? Both of them cashed with no problem. But I did so because I knew of the soft schedule. But the Vikings set the record for most one-score wins in NFL history. And we've looked at the Vikings for months now, just like the Giants. Where the Giants were the dangerous team, everybody had made up their mind. Doesn't matter who the Vikings play in the first round, I'm going against them. I'm going against the Vikings in the first round because it doesn't matter. They're a soft team. They're a weak team. I see vulnerability. They're going to be a one-out, one-and-done. We've heard this since, like, Thanksgiving. The Vikings were a fake team. I'm betting against the Vikings when the playoffs come in two months. The Giants are the team nobody wants to face. I'm taking the Giants if they make the playoffs. This is all we heard. I'm still, with all that being said, Chris, I'm still shocked that the Vikings are only three-point favorites here. I know that the Vikings have had their problems and their difficulties. Okay? I do know that. But you still have a team that is generally unstoppable on offense when they need to be. Dalvin Cook and Madison run the ball uh, at a clip that is nearly impossible to stop. You were just kind of hoping to slow that down. And then you have the receiving core. And the receiving core, that includes a guy they stole from your team, Hawkinson. And you have Thielen. You have Jefferson, one of the greatest receiving years ever. Kirk Cousins is playing at home, guys. Kirk Cousins is not going to be in prime time here, guys, right? Kirk Cousins is, is in a comfort zone in this spot. I know that the Giants are dangerous, and I know that we've been had that beat into our head how dangerous the Giants are, and the Giants, and the Giants, and the Giants. And the Vikings' defense is bad. I mean, it's just flat-out bad. But I can't sit here and tell you that that I don't think the line should be more. I think, I'm think not saying that the Giants can't cover, but I, I think the line, if, if this wasn't the narrative for both of these teams, I think that this line should have been six and a half or so. The Giants are a very vulnerable team. The Vikings still got their their numbers. They still got their wins, even if they're winning close games. I'm a little shocked that it's three, and I'm seeing early money coming in on the Giants where it might push it to two and a half. Well, Tommy, I see that line, and I think about, obviously, it's recent history, right, between these two teams. These two teams met back, uh, I believe, on the 24th of uh, December, and what was the final score? Vikings won that game 27-24 in that tilt, so... I, that might have something to do with it. Now, if you look at both these teams going down the stretch, there's a lot of Jekyll and Hyde for both of these teams. You know, you get you know, with, with the Minnesota Vikings, right? They get blasted on New Year's Day by the Green Bay Packers, and yet they've had, you know, a couple of nice wins, but a couple of losses, especially in division with that loss to Green Bay, and they lost to Detroit also later on in the season as well. With uh, the, the New York Giants, same type of situation, lose the Eagles today, but they, you know, uh, or were able to get you know the blowout win over the Colts, but then they also had blowout losses to you know to the likes of uh, to, to to the likes of the Eagles earlier on uh, in in December with that, that what forty eight twenty two loss to to the Eagles as well too. 
it, we, we talked about Brandon Staley right earlier in the show and kind of the, the vitriol and, you know, kind of the feeling towards Brandon Staley. It's kind of the opposite when it, came, when it comes to Dayball with the Giants. I mean, there's, there, there's, a, uh, there's a lot of love for him as a head coach, and there's thoughts that, you know, he's the guy there with the Giants. He's done, and, and the thought is that he's done a tremendous job, and rightfully so, as the Giants are in the postseason. But uh, there's no doubt that you, from an, if you just had an ad, the, the average Joe, Tommy, the average Jane taking a look at this matchup, and you see Minnesota only a three-point favorite against the Giants. It, it, it is kind of eye-opening. It, 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 for for all of us, all of us amateurs out there, or you know, people that aren't, you know, you know, uh, handicapping professionals, I would say to myself, "Gee, that seems kind of low because this is a game is in Minnesota. This is a Vikings team that look. We've been talking about this Vikings team for the last two, three seasons." Uh, you know, when are they going to be that that team that makes the run? When are they going to be that team that's going to be one of the marquee teams in the NFC that could actually go to a Super Bowl and maybe even, you know, break that glass ceiling that is Minnesota Viking, Buffalo Bills, you know, Super Bowl futility? When are they going to be that team? You get kind of a feeling they could actually do that, and, and especially given the kind of landscape that is the NFC playoff picture this year and you think that this would be the first step to doing that would be uh, handling their business against the likes of the New York Giants so I do see that number and I I gotta say Mr. Barton it's a it's a number that I that I I would I would take a look at and say oh my gosh I I'd be feeling pretty solid if I'm gonna lay those three points taking the Minnesota Vikings in this matchup against the New York Giants these two did play before. By the way, every team played. Niners, Seahawks played. Chargers, Jaguars played. Dolphins, Bills played. Ravens, Bengals played. Cowboys, Bucks played. And the Giants and Vikings played all this year. In that game, Daniel Jones may have played the best game I've ever seen Daniel Jones play with 334 uh, passing. He looked really crisp and really good. Do I expect that performance to be repeatable? Or do I expect Kirk Cousins, the 12 catches from Jefferson? I, I get. I, I got to look more into this game. Because I get why people are so down on the Vikings, and I get why people like the Giants so much. I still look at this and I go, it's still a division winner, home field, in the playoffs, in this spot. Oh, this could get tricky. What about Ravens-Bangles? Okay. Ravens-Bangles, just so you guys understand, this is one of, if not the hardest game to handicap on the board. And I'm not talking about it in the same respect as well, if Thompson or Tua and the, the injuries. But the Ravens came out today and they told the Bengals, we're not going to show you anything. We're not going to let you know anything. We don't care about this game. The Ravens had an opportunity to very potentially home field for this game. And they didn't care. They, they, they flat out didn't care. I don't know what that means, <laughs> you know, as a respect factor. But what I do know is that they didn't show them anything. They sat down J.K. Dobbins today. They sat a healthy scratch from Mark Andrews today. They sat down. Lamar Jackson didn't force him back. They sat down Tyler Huntley. Didn't force him back. They let Anthony Brown. And guess what? It was a pretty competitive game. This Ravens defense over the last five weeks have allowed 12 points per game. Now, here's the problem. Their offense has scored 11 points per game coming into this week. Coming into this week, the Ravens defense, you could argue, since Roquan Smith has come aboard, is the best defense in the NFL. You can argue that. They're getting a touchdown here. Getting a touchdown. If you, you forget about it, the all the other stuff. 
you are going up against a division rival that you played competitively with, with a third-string quarterback, your backup running back, your backup tight end, okay? Your three best offensive players were out of this game. You played competitively with because your defense was able to play competitively. Since Roquan Smith entered this team, their defense is absolutely phenomenal. And you're giving them seven points. I get the love for the Bengals. And all of a sudden, you start to feel that groundswell of the Bengals. Everybody's loving the Bengals now, right? Here we go. They're going back to the Super Bowl. Joe Burrow's fun to root for. Everybody loves Jamar Chase and Higgins. Oh, here we go. The Bengals are the talk of the town. The Bengals are where everyone's looking at. The Bengals are the conversation piece. I get it. And here come the Ravens. Harbaugh has success against the Bengals. By the way, the Ravens already beat the Bengals. When everyone was healthy, they held them to 17 points before Roquan Smith got there. Hmm. Interesting. Harbaugh has a good history and lots of success against the Bengals. Okay, interesting. Harbaugh decided today that it was better to not let the Bengals see their playbook than to win potentially home field advantage. Ooh, that'll tell you something about the confidence he has in what is coming next week. Now, I don't have any inside information that Lamar Jackson is going to play. But the way that I saw the guys sitting down today, I believe that he plays. And I believe that if you jump on this number early and you can get this seven number, I know it's six and a half or seven, you can get that seven number early, that'll be a bargain if Lamar plays. Now, the question is, look, how effective will Lamar be? He's coming off of an injury. He's obviously a physical guy. His game relies a lot upon him being as crisp as possible. I understand all that. But I'm looking at this game and I'm going, I get a defense that has been extraordinarily good over the last five games. I get a running game that'll be nice and crisp. J.K. Dobbins look good coming back. Mark Andrews got a day to rest. Harbaugh has something up his sleeve. And you get Lamar Jackson back, by the way, maybe playing for a contract. It, I mean, if the Ravens beat the Bengals, you have to pay Lamar after what we just watched the display of 11 points per game when he's not in there. I am all over the Ravens hoping that I get the Lamar Jackson plus seven. If I'm sitting there holding the bag at plus seven and I have to watch Anthony Brown, I'm probably going to be burning the ticket before it even starts. Yeah, Tommy, make no mistake. It's going to be super interesting to see if this line right now sitting at six and a half, it does get it up to seven because of, you know, the skepticism and uh, just the uncertainty regarding the Ravens from a personnel standpoint going into this football game. Now, yeah, Looking at the game today between these two teams, you can't you can't read too much into it given the personnel situation with with the Baltimore Ravens in this matchup. It was a game that uh, it was you know the obviously the Bengals built the lead and then ended up uh, you know uh, kind of holding on for the victory. It wasn't exactly a spectacular second half for Cincinnati, but this is a Bengals team that uh, that ends up uh, you know is is going to be uh, you know a decent favorite in this matchup. And what comes into play when it comes to playoff games, Tommy, a lot that can't happen that happened in the game today. It's turnovers, right? I mean, the Baltimore Ravens had a ton of turnovers. I think they had four turnovers in the game. Obviously, obviously, you can't have that happen in the playoffs if you're the Baltimore Ravens next week and be successful. So that's something they're going to want to rectify if you're Baltimore. But uh, make no mistake about it. I'm kind of on board with you. I think if if Lamar Jackson is in the mix, is is on the field, for the Baltimore Ravens, and you're able to get close to a touchdown, that seems like it's it's uh, it is absolutely the way to go. That being said, I mean, look, this is a this is a Cincinnati Bengals team again, also coming off they were on the field when uh, the the whole Demar Demar Hamlin situation happened. That that was the same field that was played on today, where that situation went down. 
and it's and it seems like that from a from a uh, from a psychological standpoint, the team has taken the right approach to it, and is and has been able to bounce back. It was a team that uh, you know ends up uh, uh, with a solid record on the season. They are the defending AFC champions, and they're going to look to kind of to prove that that wasn't a fluke a year ago. And so uh, th- there is that kind of aura surrounding this Cincinnati Bengals team, and I think that they're going to look to kind of prove everybody. Uh, all, all their doubters and detractors wrong with a kind of a convincing and they're going to want to go out there and, and be convincing against the likes of the Baltimore Ravens coming up this weekend. You know, the Bengals do struggle against the Ravens this year. They have scored two offensive touchdowns in each one of the games. That's it. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's a matter of bend, but don't break, hold them to field goals. Uh, you know, they, they've not been able to run with Joe Mixon for whatever reason, the Bengals are completely kind of abandoned Joe Mixon and the run. It didn't make any sense. I know he's catching a lot of balls out of the backfield, but that hasn't made any sense. And, and I think that the Ravens' defense is just not getting the credit that they deserve. Today's number looks like a big number, right? I mean, you said it. Look, uh, turnovers. The Bengals scored 27 points. One of them was a defensive touchdown. So the Bengals scored 20 points. You're talking about they the defense was overcoming four turnovers. A rookie quarterback. Their defense played really well against this high-flying Bengals team. And it's not a fluke. They did it earlier in the year. This is what this team is. I like defenses. I like running games. And I like points. This kind of has all the makings of it. But whew, if Lamar's not in there, I, I don't know if I could do it. All right, and this final is a game, game, right, Tommy, that plays a lot, of, uh, a lot of close games when you're talking about the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, they had a, a, a few games earlier on in the season in which they won, which were blowouts. But there a lot of the games this year. You're talking about three-point wins, four-point wins, right? Even, uh, you know, even right around a touchdown. So this isn't, uh, you know, a Bengals team that necessarily flexes their muscles and goes out there and just just lays waste to teams. And I wouldn't expect that to be the case either in this matchup against the Ravens. So you, when you see that number floating up around a touchdown, it it, it gets you it gets you all kinds of giddy, Mister Barton, to take a look at the Baltimore Ravens and uh, and lay a little money on the uh, visitors from Baltimore. And they, they tend to lose those close games. This year, they lost to the Steelers in overtime by three. Lost to the Cowboys by three. Lost to the Ravens by two. Uh, you know, they their losses are close losses. Now they beat the Patriots. Again, another fringe playoff team. Beat the Patriots by four. They beat the Chiefs by three. The Titans by three. Steelers by only a touchdown. When the Steelers were not who we thought they were. The Saints by only four points. You are right. They play a ton of close games and when they play the upper competition, it seems like they almost play down to that competition, if that makes some sense. All right, let's go to the Monday game. Cowboys, Bucks, Tom Brady at home. Tom Brady has never lost against the Cowboys. The Bucks have not been very good at home, but the Cowboys looked atrocious today in a game where they sort of needed. The Cowboys coming in had looked really good. They had allowed 17 or less points in uh, you know three straight games. Dak Prescott coming into this game had passed for 70% completion percentage for the last three games. The Cowboys were rolling. The Cowboys have the number nine overall passing defense. The Cowboys have one of the top pass rushing uh, defenses in the league. Everyone's looking at the running game. Yeah, Ezekiel Elliott and Pollard, they are a good combination, but Dak was playing at an elite level. Dak did not look good this week, and I'm trying not to make too much of it. But man, the Cowboys didn't look good. Bucks, meanwhile... Who cares about this game? I'm not even talking about this one. The Bucs went through a stretch where they basically, they, they didn't score 20 points. 
I mean, we're talking 20 points. They could not get over that threshold all year long. Their defense has played well at times, but even that, they weren't playing great defense. They were playing fine defense. Offense was a mess. Now, you can't blame Tom Brady. I know people want to. But Tom Brady is going to break his own record for completion attempts and, and completions in a season. This is a team that you look at. 19 against the Cowboys, 20 against the Saints, 12 against the Packers, 31 against the Chiefs. Okay, outbreak there. 21 against the Falcons, 18, 3, 22, 16, 21, 17, 17, 7, 23, 19, and 30. Two games, two games over 23 points all year long. Two. I don't know if you could back a team that can't really score 20 points. But in the same breath, I know it's Brady, and I know he's at home. I'm trying to overlook the obvious here. I want to talk about the Cowboys in the same breath with how can you go out there and bet on the Bucks? How can you go out there and bet on the Cowboys after what we just watched? This was terrible. This was a terrible performance. And we watched Dak have a pretty terrible performance multiple times this year. You start to break down their record. Yes, it was a nice win against the Eagles. Oh, that was without Jalen Hurts. Commanders and Titans were two non-playoff teams. They lost to the Jags playoff team. So I'm going to not count that Eagles game because that was not a starting quarterback. Go back to the Texans and Colts. Oh, nice wins. Neither one of them are a playoff team. How about the Giants? Eight-point win against the Giants at home. Okay. Vikings, I know they, they destroyed the Vikings in their one sole game, but they also lost to the Packers beating up on the Bears, beating up on on the Rams, beating up on the Commanders. This is what they've done this year. If you remove, basically, you know, their wins against the Giants, uh, outside, they have have one win. They have one win against the Vikings that you feel comfortable with. The others are against non-playoff teams, and most of them cellar dwellers. I don't trust Dak Prescott laying points. I don't trust Dak Prescott laying points on the road. I think the Cowboys' defense is good, but it's shown a lot of vulnerability lately. I'm looking at this Bucks team and I'm going, maybe I'm nostalgic about Tom Brady at home. Maybe Tom Brady found something. I know the Bucks have been broken. I get it. But it's still Tom Brady getting points at home on a Monday night in the playoffs. I'm going to be the old man that you just have to teach me the hard way. Teach me that Brady's finished. I'm not sure he is here, Chris. There's no doubt that the Dallas Cowboys flat out laid an egg here on the final day of the regular season in this matchup against their division rival in Washington. And Dak Prescott was not only not good, he was just atrocious, right? I mean, it was just Damn absolutely Howell. horrendous showing. He had a pick six, that, you know, threw for hardly any yards, it just had a bad game. And you don't, and if you're just going to look at Dak Prescott's stats in a vacuum, you don't like having, you know, high double digit interceptions that he's had this year. And with respect to what you talked about regarding the Cowboys this year, right? During the regular season. Look, they had a stretch where, obviously, Dak was injured. Cooper Rush won every single game he started. That's a big – I mean, this is a Cowboys team that was, what, 12-5, and and Cooper Rush was undefeated in that stretch. So it's very misleading. Now, that being said, you do like what they bring to the table offensively. You talked about it with Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott in the backfield, you know, one of the more stellar, you know, backfields in the the NFL. You like CeeDee Lamb, an almost 1,400-yard receiver there. For them, And when Dak Prescott is going, you like him as well, too, obviously. But this is the Dallas Cowboys. And we talk about, you know, recent history when it comes to the NFC playoffs. This is a Cowboys team that hasn't won or hasn't made a, a significant run in the postseason 
since the late since the mid '90s. I mean, since you and I were both much younger bucks and running around back in the '90s, Mr. Barton. That's this is a, a team that's wallowing. And look, Jerry Jones talked about it after the game today. He said they're going to use that loss today to Washington as motivation going into the playoffs. But look, I talked about this like a matter of 10, 15 minutes ago. You don't want to be hobbling going into the playoffs, and that's exactly what the Cowboys are doing. And you're playing against a team in the Tampa in Tampa Bay. Yeah, you've got the GOAT over there. They've had some issues from an offensive standpoint all year long. You know, I, I was expecting more out of Leonard Fournette this season than, than I've gotten. I was expecting more out of that receiving core than I've gotten, even though Mike Evans has, you know, what over 1,100 yards on the season and has been okay. But, uh, you know, I, I get the feeling, Tommy, I get the feeling the Bucks defense could be highly problematic for this Dallas Cowboys team. And if you have a Cowboys team that's reeling coming into the playoffs and you, you know, and the Bucks are able to get, you know, maybe a couple of big defensive plays, i.e. a pick six or something along those lines or a couple of turnovers, it could be disaster time for the Dallas Cowboys. And you could have the rumblings once again uh, of Mike McCarthy for his job if the Bucks end up winning this football game, Tommy, and, and the, you know, the Dallas Cowboys end up bowing out of the playoffs for yet another, again, in another year where they're expected to be a team that can run deep and maybe even make it to the Super Bowl. It's going to be, it's going to be high drama to say the least, Tommy, if, if, if the Cowboys end up going down in this, in this football game. Chris, what about some totals out here? Niners, Seahawks, 42 and a half. Chargers, Jaguars, 46 and a half. Dolphins, Bills, 43 and a half. Giants, Vikings, 47. Ravens, Bengals, 44. Cowboys, Bucks, 44 and a half. Uh, unders, once again, a better's friend, ending the season at just under 57%. If you just went out there and bet every single under, every single game, just under 57%. Actually, the last two weeks have been uh, leaning towards the over. Is it crazy? I'm looking at these six totals and I'm going, I want to bet six unders. I won't. But I want to bet all six unders. Maybe the Giants-Vikings go over. Maybe the Bills go nuts against the Dolphins, right? Uh, but Ravens-Bangles? That, that, that has 17-14 written all over it. Bucks cowboys I just talked about how the Bucks can't even get to 20 points. That has 2017 written all over it. Chargers-Jags, I think there's a lot of running. I know everybody wants the offenses. Uh, that, that has 23-20 written all over it to me, right? Niners-Seahawks, I don't know if the Seahawks score. I don't know if the Seahawks score. And then, and you you look at all these games, I'm going, I'm not going to do it. But, man, if I if I just load up and I took six unders, Chris, I think the worst I do is three and three. Yeah, Tom, you're talking about it, right, as far as going out there and betting parlays. And if I were a guy, Mr. Barton, that did, you know, partake in a little parlay action, I'd absolutely take a look at that type of scenario in which I would load up on the unders. And the reason why is one, one team's going to burn. We discussed it earlier on in the show. It's that the familiarity, right, of these teams. Every one of these teams has played against each other here in the 2022-23 season. So that would lend you to think, okay, so that means that, you know, they understand, you know, the, the certain aspects of, of the opposing team. And therefore, you're going to get – you know, the defenses are going to be able to kind of hold their own and you're going to see lower scoring football games. And so you get that idea. That's where that, that, that idea comes from and that belief comes from. So there's no doubt about it that I, I, you know, I take a look and you see these, you know, these numbers like 46, 44 and a half, these numbers that are, you know, right there teetering. I, they're not, 
I mean, there, there's a method to the madness, right? There's a reason why you're not seeing totals of in the 50s when it comes to a lot of these games is because you're, you're expecting to get those 23, you know, the 23-20 football games or 23-17 type of deals that, that go down. So it, it, to me, it makes a lot of sense. And uh, again, I, you know, going back to what you're saying, Tom Barton's not, not on board with the parlays. I don't know. I might have to, I might have to sprinkle my friend a little bit of a sprinkle, a little bit of, of ducats on a, a little multi multi under parlay when it comes to some of these tilts uh, uh, and rolling out, rolling around this weekend. Don't do all six. You'll go yeah. five and one and not make any money on a parlay. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. Don't, don't do that. That's why I'm looking at, I'm just going, man, if I just go, I won't do, I, I don't do that. But if I just wanted to do all six, worst I'm coming out is three and three. I, that, the worst I'm coming out is three and three. So yeah, it's might be, might be worth a, a look here. All right, Chris, let's take our time out. Okay. When we get back, got to talk a little bit about the national championship game. And I want to get your, your opinion on some of the coaches that we have talked about. If we have some time, I want to throw a couple of names out there. What is the viability of them coming here? Uh, to, to Las Vegas, what is the viability of them even coaching? Because we don't know the two biggest names. We don't even know if they're going to coach in Harbaugh and, uh, and and of course, obviously Sean Payton and the speculations going on there. So I want to get your thoughts on the coaching carousel. But we have to preview the national championship game, Georgia TCU tomorrow. I'm going to tell you really how just absolutely important it is that TCU wins even though they're 13-point underdogs. All that and more right after this, right here on Heatwave Sports. Now back to Heatwave Sports. All right, guys. Welcome back to the Super Sunday Night Edition of Heatwave Sports. I am Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com. Here with Chris Wynn at Christian Wynn over at Twitter. Go check him out. And, Chris, uh, I am looking at this national championship game, and I talked about this this morning on the show, and, I, I got asked a question. How big do I go for national championship games? And my answer was smaller than ever. Right? Uh, usually national championship games are, are so well lined. That I try to stay away. Now I know that this line opened at 13, 13 and a half. It jumped up, never quite got to 14. I saw 13 and a half. You know, you could get it minus one Oh five at a point. It went all the way down to 11 and a half and then kind of back up. And I think it's, it's kind of sitting and staying at 13. What's interesting to me is, like 55 to 56% of the bets are coming in on TCU. And we see a lot of money line bets on TCU. Now, just for comparison, I'm going to explain something to everybody. Right now, TCU, you can get money line plus 350 at plus 13. Just for comparison's sake, you can get the Giants today who are minus or, well, plus 14 at plus 7 to 1. You could have got the Arizona Cardinals today who are plus 14 and a half. At seven and a half to one. So there's no value at all on the on the money line. I know people's eyes light up about the money line. If you like TCU, take the points that they're giving you guys. Okay. But let's break this day, game down. TCU's not supposed to be here. It's not one of the biggest upsets in, in the history of the world, but it's one of the biggest upsets in college football history if they pull this off. Um, I, I know soccer had like a 5,000 to one before the season started a couple of years ago or whatnot. Um, but you look at TCU and you go, they are a fun story. And sometimes people kind of get enamored with the fun story. I've been anti-SEC for a long time. Uh, but this Georgia team is for real. Now, this Georgia team is not what they were last year, but I don't think they have to be. Stetson Bennett 
is is a very good, I don't even want to call him a game manager, but he's not this blow-you-away superstar. He's a very good quarterback, very good offense, very good defense. TCU, they have all the same very goods across the board. Georgia's just a little bit better in all their, their cases. For me, we're going to, and I'm going to let you break this game down. We're all going to talk about the Georgia defense and what that Georgia defense can do because the Georgia defense is very good. And people are going to talk about Stetson Bennett and what this offense can do uh, and what this offense, you look at this offense and you go, yeah, you know what? Look, they were fifth in efficiency across the board on the offensive side. Uh, Bennett was up for the Heisman. They can score at any time. And the defense is fantastic. Georgia defense, one of the best front lines. All, all of this is going to be the conversation. And then you're going to look at the offense of TCU. It's going to be Max Duggan. Oh, boy, you know, he's going to be everything. But the unit that I want to concentrate on here is the TCU defense. That is somehow getting a pass. At no time during this year did anybody ever look at the Michigan, Michigan offense and say, oh, that's an explosive offense, right? But Michigan rolled up 528 total yards on them. They let up 45 points against Michigan. And let's be honest, Michigan shot themselves in the foot time and time again in that game. It could have been a lot more, including the first drive. Michigan easily could have scored well into the 50s, and I think into the 60s if they played a cleaner, crisper offensive game. So now Georgia comes in, it was a better offense. And you look at Georgia gets that TCU defense. We could talk about Stetson Bennett, and people will talk endlessly all day tomorrow about Stetson Bennett. And you could talk about this Georgia defense, where a lot of that stout of the Georgia defense was built on last year's team. But I think that, and and, and Max Dugan, he, look, he should get plenty of accolades. And Sonny Dykes and all, it's all, it, all the storylines are going to be out there. You're not going to hear about the inability of TCU's defense the way that I'm talking about it. And I think that that is going to be the difference in this game. I don't love the 13 points here because I think TCU has the explosiveness and the excitement. And I, I think that Georgia's defense showed a little bit of vulnerability last week that you were able to kind of pinpoint and you were able to kind of sift through. So I don't love laying the 13, but I don't think TCU has a chance to win this game because their defense was just so bad against Michigan, Chris. So as Carl Spangler, a.k.a. Bill Murray, said in Caddyshack, Mr. Barton, it's a Cinderella story is exactly what this TCU Horn Frogs is all about, my friend. They get, you know, coming off that win, obviously, over Michigan, where they put up a 51 spot. This is a Horn Frogs team, Tommy, that scored a ton of points during the regular season. A lot of games you looked at. You know, in the box score with this TCU team where they're up around 40, 50, 60, and, and, you know, even 70 points, they can score points in bunches. This is also a TCU team coming off that losing 2021 season and picked to finish seventh in the Big 12. Seventh! They weren't even ranked in Sonny Dyke's first year as coach going into the season. Now they'll play for their first national championship since 1938 because of that improbable win over Michigan. They're able to kind of – you like the intestinal fortitude, right, because they get out to the lead, and then they're kind of able to withstand that fr- you know, frenetic second-half surge that Michigan had to, to hold them off in the Fiesta Bowl and win that football game. But now you're facing the likes of Georgia, right, who has been – all they do has been winning for the past two seasons, basically, down there in Athens with this team. You talked about Stenson Bennett, who's looking to continue to build – on his legacy as the quarterback there at Georgia. 
and you know the Bulldogs end up, uh, you know, and and they were in a fight with uh, with with the Ohio State Buckeyes, and there was really only a couple games all season long where this Georgia Bulldog team was tested, right, Tommy? I mean, they had the matchup, I believe, midway through the season against Missouri. That was pretty close. But other than that, and then, of course, the matchup against the Buckeyes in the semifinal, this is a team that pretty much handled every one of their opponents all season long. So you, you wonder about Georgia as far as, you know, having a little bit of overconfidence going up into this matchup, given they are such a, a big double-digit favorite. And you talked about kind of the line movement with respect to this line, and it, 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 it makes sense because you figure, you know, again, the average betters out there, which the majority of us are, go out there and they see a team that's a 13-point favorite in the in the national championship game, and what do we think? Oh, yeah, TCU is getting no respect, and I got to lay some money on TCU because they're getting so many points. And I think that's what led to that line getting down to around 11 and a half and now getting back up to where it sits with uh, the William Hill line that I'm checking out on my app, which is around uh, 12, is at 12 and a half right now. So, I mean, it, it's, it's understandable as far as the line movement, but I, I'm, I'm having, I'm, I'm racking my brain, Mr. Barton. I'm trying to figure out ways to, to think that the, the Horn Frogs are going to be able to hang in this football game. And I, I, it's really difficult to do. You love what Bowers brings to the table for this Bulldogs offense, you you know, and, and you, I think that Georgia is going to be from a defensive standpoint, obviously we understand where they're at, despite the fact that they have injuries to a couple of key guys on defense. They're still, you know, one of the more formidable defenses in all of college football. And I think that the defense for Georgia ends up being the difference here. And I think it's, it's very much justified, Tommy, very much so that they are a double digit favorite in this matchup against the Horn Frogs. Yeah, it, it's, it's one of those stories that you almost get caught too much up into the story, Chris, as yep. opposed to the reality of the situation. The story sounds great. You know, nobody wants a repeat champion. The story sounds great about TCU. Um, I can't, not that I don't, but I very much lean away from a team that I don't think is going to win the game, but I just love the points. I try right. not to do that. I, I, if, I, if I want the points, then I think the team has a chance to win the game. I'm not sure I feel like TCU has a chance to win the game. So I think we both have Georgia winning. I don't know if we both have Georgia covering, but we, we both both have Georgia winning. Um, real quick, we've got about 10 minutes to go here, Chris. I wanted to talk to you about the coaching searches that we did kind of touch on. And the newest things are, are of course, Sean Payton. Well, you know what? They want a first. They want a first-round pick. Uh, they want more than a first-round pick. Jim Harbaugh, is he coming? Is it possible? Uh, I know he's meeting with Indiana, uh, Indianapolis. He was in Indiana to kind of meet with them. That he has Indianapolis ties. Lovey Smith was fired today or released today, however you want to say that, in a very nice way, along with the general manager in Houston. Not that it was their fault, but they're gone. Frank Reich's name has been circling uh, out there. Um, you look at at just the litany of people. McDaniel's might be fired. McVay might walk away from the job. The Denver Broncos are in connection with Jim Harbaugh. All of the coaching searches out there, all of the things swirling, what do you feel is kind of the biggest story here that will come to fruition? And where do you think someone is a, 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 the best fit? Even Cliff Kingsbury, by the way, who signed till 2027, they're exploring his contract and his options. So it seems like nobody's safe. What's the best fit for you that you think is going to happen? Yeah, well, obviously, there's going to be a little bit of a regional bias on my part here as to what I think is the most 
interesting and intriguing story as far as coaches going into the offseason. That's Jim Harbaugh, right? You're talking about a guy who is coaching at his alma mater, one of the premier college football programs in the country, a guy that was in a Super Bowl, ironically against his brother, in which he lost. So he's got, without question, obviously NFL ties, being a quarterback and someone who you know is as comes from a coaching family and so and you have some interesting possible destinations right for Jim Harbaugh you've got that in the situation with the Indianapolis Colts right he played there he's got his name up in the ring of honor there at Lucas Oil Stadium he's you know uh you know I don't think his name, numbers retired there with the Colts but he's you know he was a prominent quarterback obviously in the NFL for Tom Barton Chicago Bears and of course the Colts as well too so there is that connection with him and Jim Irsay as far as the Colts are concerned. There's also this question too, right, Tommy, with, with Jim Harbaugh. What's more important to Jim Harbaugh? Is it winning a national championship at his alma mater at Michigan, which, you know, he obviously fell short this year. He wasn't able to do it. But if he came back, he'd have all kinds of opportunities maybe to, to possibly reach that goal and still do that. Or... Is it him going back in the NFL as a head coach and winning a Super Bowl? You know, which which is I think that's a burning question that 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 none of us really know the answer to, except for Jim, as to whether or not what's more important. And I would tend to lean toward I'm telling you, Tommy, I would tend to lean towards the Super Bowl. I think he wants to coach, get back in the NFL and coach in the NFL. And so if that's the case and if he and if that's the motivation, I don't know if he goes to the Colts. Because I think you want to, if if you're Jim Harbaugh, wouldn't you rather go to maybe you know the Los to Los Angeles with the Chargers, given that they have a, the, you know that roster has a you know you look you look in, in the next two three seasons that's a team that would have more opportunity to win a Super Bowl than the Indianapolis Colts would, considering their roster and and the direction of that franchise right now, or maybe some other spots around the NFL where he'd have a better chance. I think that's really is going to be the kind of the 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 question that a lot of football fans are asking, and that and that's going to be in, a, in the off season is going to be what people are talking about. Look, I get it. Sean Payton obviously won a Super Bowl with the New Orleans Saints. He's a a, a a very credentialed coach. He's got a, he's got a, he's a background. He's an intriguing guy, and there's going to be some interest as far as where he goes, and of course, what the deal is going to be. As far as uh, you know, the Denver Broncos coaching search, what they're going to do, what direction that franchise is going in, and there's some other coaches out there as well too that that are that are that are out there that people are going to be interested in. But I really think Tommy that the Jim Harbaugh saga is the way I'll put it is kind of going to be on the forefront when you're talking about football coaches and and what opportunities they may have going into this offseason. Yeah, I'm looking at the Sean McVay stuff. Um, when Stafford announced, I just talked about this two weeks ago on my show, when Stafford announced that he was coming back, I said, well, we know that Aaron Donald was thinking about retiring. McVay was thinking about walking away and Stafford there had been rumors about retiring. When I heard Stafford coming, was coming back, my immediate response was, I guess him, McVay and Donald sat down and said, okay, guys, we're going to run this back one more year. Maybe not. Uh, Sean McVay looks like he's got one foot out the door and everyone's like, well, he's burnt out. And he says, I'm not saying he's not. And I'm not saying he doesn't have life outside of football. What I am saying, though, is that he's got his ring. He's a coaching icon. He's got his tree of coaches. 
and he looks at the dumpster fire that he's leaving behind because they have no draft picks for like 25 years, right? I mean, this team is going to be in a just an absolute tailspin spiral for the next five to 10 years with no draft picks, terrible cap space, aging players. I'm not shocked that McVay is going to walk away, but I think that he is definitely, the, that, that Rams job is going to be an intriguing one because who do you fill? Who wants it? How do you fill it? That's going to be an intriguing job out there. Chris, it has been uh, an absolute fantastic two hours. I am, uh, I'm always really happy to have you on. I got to talk to you twice today on both shows and a day with a Lions uh, knockoff Aaron Rodgers. It's, it's elimination day. I've been doing this here for like 12 years now on, on this show. It's elimination day for Aaron Rodgers. And, <laughs> you know, Tommy, I, know, Tommy, I know you're just distraught. That that quarterback up there in Green Bay got bounced out on the final re- day of the regular season. I know. I, I look. I I know. I know. Abby's going to have to console you for the you know the better part of the next week, given that that transpired up there at Lambeau Field, my friend. Uh, listen, I, I I'm just always right when I said yeah. that this guy just can't wait. I, I'm just always right. So now he can go take, you know, his his HB you know CB whatever oils and and his his chakra. <laughs> And go wherever he's going to go for the offseason while we all sit back and speculate. He's sitting enjoying the good life. We're going to be all stressed out about where this guy is going to wind up. And he'll probably uh, probably walk away with a smile on his face. All right, guys, that's going to do it for us. For Chris Wynn, go check him out on Twitter. It's Christian Wynn. You can hear him everywhere in Las Vegas, every single station, it seems. But his home is always with us here at Heatwave Sports. Tim will be back next week. We are off next Saturday, so we will be on next Sunday. Enjoy the games on Saturday. We'll be uh, enjoy the games over the weekend. We will get real in depth about what happened and moving on into the next round next weekend as well. Go check me out, guys. It's TomBartonSports.com. TomBartonSports.com. I can win you money this playoff season. It's just that simple. There's no hard sell here. I've been doing this for more than a decade on the air, and it, it is putting Tim's name out there. It's putting the station's name out there. I I don't sell. I don't hard sell. I don't double side games. None of it, guys. I just put out games, just put out winners consistently week in and week out. Go check me out, TomBartonSports.com, Tom Barton Sports over on YouTube as well. Thank you very much, everybody from Las Vegas, and keep saying prayers for DeMar Hamlin. You know it looks like he's out of it, and it's optimism to be had. Prayers are always very good. Have a good night, everybody. We'll see you next week. 